fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try Hey everybody and welcome to episode number 72 of the season 4 version of the Fantasy Fullback Dive brought to you by the good people at the Rotor Street Journal. We're back to back here people. We're paving your way to fantasy excellence. We're your lead blocker. I am your host, Nat the Truth Jones. You just heard me yesterday. With me as always, the Wolf of Rotor Street himself. Uh, in the person, in the flesh, uh, in the fur, whatever the hell you want to call him. How you doing, Wolf? Furry as ever, except on the top of the head. The haircuts are still looking both great on both sides, I would oh, yeah. say. They look good. You're holding up pretty well over there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, doing very well. The free agency fireworks are just firing off in all cylinders. Obviously, last time we, we covered the biggins of OBJ, AB, and Le'Veon, just the fantasy megastars. But there's still so many humongous moves. So I, I mean, I haven't slept in like five days. I've just been up recording videos to like 1230 at night. I got yelled at last night by my neighbors for taking my eighth take at 1230 a.m. about my slacks being stained for Odell Beckham. They're like, shut up about your fucking slacks. So <laughs> that was pretty fun. Uh, but no, I love it, man. It's the free agency fallout, the frenzy. It's the best. And I can't wait to cover the rest for you if I if I haven't gone completely insane by now. All right. Well, I'm working on a limited schedule tonight. So uh, oh, odds are the wolf is going to finish this one on his own, but I'm at least going to be here with you for about the first half hour or so. So we're going to dive right into it. Um, you know, before we get into the other guys, I mean, and of course we're talking about the other guys other than OBG, uh, OBJ, uh, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, obviously those are the three massive ones. You have a little bit of a warning you want to throw out to the people out there before they get too excited about some of these team changes as far as it relates to fantasy. And I have a comment on it once you give it. So go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, this is from our good friend Scott Barrett, a uh, friend of the pod. Oh, yeah. visited us Scott last Barrett. year and will be back this year. Can't wait from Pro Football Focus. Uh, he tossed out a friendly reminder that NFL players changing teams in free agency very rarely beat their ADP that year or even improve by fantasy points per game despite everyone getting all hot and horny about their new teams. And I'm one of them. I always get all oh, yeah. jacked up horny. new landing spots. Uh, they cut out the hut, but the horny definitely exists here. Uh, but since 2010, he did the like a quick chart study about all the different free agents who have moved around only 27.3% of quarterbacks that have changed teams and then been drafted have matched or beat their ADP and only 45% actually improved their fantasy points per game running backs even worse only 6 of 35 that's 17% beat the ADP on their new teams 38% of them improving in fantasy points per game and then the top 48 receivers 34.9% beat the ADP so that's like the highest of all of them still not good you're looking at like a third of them actually beating their adp with 31 percent of them improving on their fantasy points per game and then you got tight ends literally zero percent zero out of 15 have actually improved on their new landing spot uh in terms of adp 40 percent have seen a spike in fantasy points but they're overdrafted even still so definitely some stats you gotta yeah, take note less, of it less than half across the board every position as far every as like one. improving yeah. as far as their right. fantasy I mean, let's think about like, uh, you know, what Jimmy Graham to the Packers and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, or Jimmy Graham to the Seahawks or Jimmy Graham. Remember when Jimmy Graham went to the Seahawks? (laughs) I mean, we worked together then and we were just both like, oh, my gosh, that's not even fair. 
And I mean, right, and exactly. Sucks, you know, I mean, <laughs> right. it happens. So temper your expectations, people. Now, I will say of the three guys we discussed yesterday, I, I expect two of their productions to go down. I mean, I think Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell will, will not. Yeah. I mean, Le'Veon Bell's production last year was zero, so I expect that to go up, actually. But, like, I expect them to go <laughs> down. I mean, I, yeah, I expect so. Beckham's to go up, and maybe I'm kidding myself. Maybe it won't, because, I mean, it's not like his no. numbers were bad last year. But anyway, I You're expect... You're yourself, dude. This guy's a, maybe the best receiver in the game, and he's now getting a humongous QB upgrade. We went into depth. If you yeah, yeah, yeah. we went into depth. Check episode out episode seven, number 71. I'm all jazzed up about Odell. Again. I know, he's going to have to change his slacks again. Oh God! I already had it twice today. Oh gosh! And we got—I'll tell you what. Once we take off at RSJ, we're gonna have to really sink some money into the slacks budget because exactly. I mean, like we're just burning through money on slacks uh, right around the trade deadline. We got to do something about that, or maybe like put out some Rotor Street Journal slacks with extra absorbent, like crotch, uh, you know, <laughs> absorbing wick fibers or something. Absolutely. Anyway, let's get in. Let's get down to business here. Let's talk risers real quick. Uh, I'm gonna get as many of these things in before I gotta go. Um, first issue, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, OJ Howard to feast on the vacated volume, uh, in Tampa Bay, of course. What do you think, man? Absolutely. We got Adam Humphreys and Deshaun Jackson gone now that just those two combined for 183 targets, 1,560 yards and nine touchdowns. And the Bucks overall rank fourth in total vacated targets with 229 total, 2,193 yards. And that's all going to be opened up inside of Bruce Arians explosive scheme. So this is huge news. Mike Evans was already going to be your second rounder, but he was falling to, you know, right to the tail end of round two, sometimes even into round three. To me, he vaults right up into Mike Thomas, Tyree killed Juju territory as a very acceptable wide receiver one. He actually last year trailed only Tyree kill in deep yardage, 543 yards on 20 plus yard throws. And now we'll have even more vacated deep yardage with Deshaun Jackson, no longer roaming that part of the field. And you know, Bruce Arians, no risk it, no biscuit loves to sling it deep. So this is an alpha wider son, wide receiver one that can run the entire route tree that size out muscles, defenses, just unbelievable. And I think he's had that kind of on and off trend he was obviously on last year as the top five receiver in fantasy i don't think he goes backwards i think he stays right up in that range of the top seven or so fantasy receivers godwin's the the sexy name everybody loves him in the fantasy community and for good reason he's got a six one frame but he plays bigger than that because he's got excellent body control great leaping ability and the reason i really like this guy especially with humphrey's gone is he seems pegged for that slot role in bruce arian's offense and that's where larry fitzgerald that late career resurgence happened where he, he gives sent on deep slants and uses his big frame to post up defenders, especially in the red zone. Godwin's very similarly talented in that sense and runs a very uh, similar route tree to Larry Fitz. So I think that could be an absolute money roll for Chris Godwin. He's up to 56 on my uh, big board. That's plus eight against the ECR. But somebody that I see getting hated on and doesn't make, make any sense to me is OJ Howard. Now, this is one of those things. Coaching trends can be actually correlation traps. And you know me. I love coaching trends as much as anybody. I break in break them down, dig in. And yes, Bruce Arians' tight end production has been very lackluster, but I mean, he's been thrown to Jermaine Gresham and fucking like Rob Hausler and all these just disgusting names. He hasn't had an OJ Howard. I mean, this guy's ridiculous. He's averaged 16.6 yards per catch as a behemoth, six foot six, 251 pound, just monster that runs a four, five, one forty. That's faster than Mike Evans. And again, Bruce Arians calling card is going deep, slinging the rock, finding mismatches. There's not a better mismatch weapon than 
OJ Howard. He was fantasy's tight end five last year in points per game before going down, and now he's in a prime position to even get more deep targets with Deshaun Jackson gone. I absolutely love this guy. I'm 13 spots higher than the ECR, up at 50. My clear-cut tight end five, and I think he could absolutely explode as long as he stays healthy. That's the risk with him, but overall, all that open volume for those three weapons especially is going to be a beautiful thing in this explosive scheme. I mean, you know, sometimes we go back and forth on the Bucks, and, you know, I don't love some of the weapons that they have as much as you do. I do believe in Arians a lot, and I think this is a huge year for them because I think if they don't put it together this year, it's time for everyone to part company and I'll go never, I will ways. never go back in. If they can't get it together under Arians, I will never trust a Buccaneer again in my life. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I think it could go that way, but I'm pulling for him. I mean, like you said, what were we talking about the other uh, last podcast? There was like four or five receivers. Uh, that had over 40 touchdowns in the last, I don't know, four years or something. Mike Evans was one of them. He I mean, was one of them. Huge, huge weapon. The guy that probably most people would miss if they were trying to name that group. All exactly. right. Mark Ingram landing in an ideal Ravens value hole and, might I say, filling that value hole quite admirably. Oh, yeah. Fills it beautifully. <laughs> Absolutely. And we talked about this two episodes ago on episode hey, 69. Speaking of value holes. Yeah, and fill- yeah, yeah. Lots of value episode hole filling 69. going on. Yeah, lots of dinner for two. Mark Ingram in the perfect spot here uh, with the Ravens. Though We said this would be the ideal fit and ask and ye shall receive. He lands there. The reason we labeled it such a great fit was because of how run heavy they're going to be. I actually dug in a little bit more since that podcast. And when Lamar Jackson took over in week 11, they ran the ball 64% of the time. That's a like record-setting pace. It's unbelievably uh, ridiculously slanted. The average is 42% runs, so they were 22% higher in the run rate than any other team. So the ground pie is obviously going to be enormous when you got Lamar Jackson at QB. You got Mark Ingram back. They're probably going to be in line for 270, 300 carries in this offense, and it's Greg Roman's scheme. We talked a lot about him. Insanely productive run game. Over six seasons calling plays. All of them have ranked within the top 10 in rushing yardage and attempts. Two of those teams have been number one in rushing touchdowns, and he just thrives with the mobile quarterbacks with Tyrod Taylor, Colin Kaepernick. He's made great offenses around their running ability and opening up those cutback lanes, and Ingram's going to be the perfect fit. He's a great receiver as well. He's got 250 catch seasons in the last four years. He's averaged 4.5 yards per carry since 2014. That's the, the, the mo- He has the most seasons of that, even more than Todd Gurley since 2015, so very efficient, falls forward, runs hard and fast, just hits the hole. So this guy is going to get a huge humongous slice of ground pie and a perfect fitting power run game of Greg Roman and wide open cutback lanes because of Mark Roman's scheme and Lamar Jackson's rushing ability. I love everything about this. He shoots right up into my like elite RB2 with definite RB1 upside guys in my top 30-ish or so big board. Like If he falls to round three, uh, mid-round three or so, I think you're getting an absolute steal on Mark Ingram. All right, and when we talk about Mark Ingram, and I agree, by the way, I think he's a great fit uh, for the Ravens. We'll, I mean, I'm assuming they're going to use him the right way. We'll see what that is. We'll see if they actually fall in line, but I think he's a good fit. Uh, but let's get to the third one right now, which is with Ingram leaving the Saints, we've got a big back on the Saints value hole opening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as the lights go down, is that Latavius Murray's music I hear? As he's coming down the aisle. I think it is. I think that's Latavius Murray. 
talk to me about his touchdown Returning upside. from the fantasy graveyard. Oh my God, that's Latavius Murray. Weighing in at 250 pounds, six foot one. He's back, folks. Yes, it absolutely <laughs> is Latavius Murray. And the guy's in the absolute perfect spot to be a fantasy beast. And I don't say that lightly. This guy is going from complete obscurity to now ranking in my seventh round right now. But I feel like I'm almost low on him the more I, I dug rather, into the I'd stats. I'd go higher tonight. than that. I really would. I, I probably will once I relook at this because I dug into the stats tonight and haven't been able to uh, uh, update my big board since but he's always been a monster in short yardage and at the stripe he's had some massive games last year when filling in for cook when he was out from weeks five through nine murray was actually the rb7 scored a ton of touchdowns i think six over that week's those five week span uh, and this is now going to be in the Saints system where touchdowns are that much more plentiful. It was only a couple seasons ago that Mark Ingram and Kamara were both top five running backs. Ingram was five, Kamara was four. Uh, it's not like Murray couldn't do that. Yes, I think Ingram's a better back overall, especially more versatile as a pass catcher. But the, it's really the touchdown upside that comes with being the big back there. He could easily score 10 plus touchdowns. And never mind the fact that, yes, he's got that you know high end RB2 standalone potential. But if something ever happened to Kamara, and this guy becomes the lead guy, the number one back in the Saints offense behind that line in this system, he would be a threat to top all running backs every single week. He'd be a top five no-brainer play every single week as the main guy. So you got that handcuff upside plus the, I mean, it's the ultimate handcuff with benefits as we like to talk about. I love Murray's upside in this scheme. I do too. Murray's one of these guys that I've thought was going to break out a couple different times. And although, like you talked about, you referenced it, it's happened in short bursts, but it's never happened on any sort of sustained level. Sometimes it was due to injury, sometimes it was just due to like uh, you know game flow, and sometimes it's been due to just sucking. But this seems like a really, really appealing landing spot for him, uh, and so we'll see how it works out. Like I said, I like him, and I, mean, I have to see the board, but round six doesn't seem crazy to me for somebody like that. What's- he was like a featured guy on our first ever, like we used to call ourselves like the fantasy market report or some shit. Remember we like did like fantasy a running stock report, <laughs> our first ever time recording. And like, I remember like we raved about Ezekiel Elliott and David Johnson. And then we said Latavius Murray with the Raiders was going to be our big breakout running back. That, you know, big, Dude, big memories. I, I really, I really liked what I saw out of him. I liked the tape yeah. on Latavius Murray. And I mean, he did really well, but he got hurt. Didn't he? Didn't he get a concussion or something? He did. Like that? Yeah, he started as like a, a top seven runner running back and then got hurt yeah concussed and it was kind of just a timeshare from there uh so he yeah he panned out for the early half and we thought we were geniuses and then he yeah, got hurt. yeah well there have been a few times but. we thought we were geniuses and ended up we weren't <laughs> uh, and then a few times we thought we were geniuses and we were fucking right pat mahomes baby <laughs> pat mahomes anyway <laughs> and others not just pat mahomes anyway but that's clearly the best one that's our favorite one that's it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. No, that we nailed that one. We really did. Yeah. All right, Josh Allen, his surrounding talent, Rota Street Journal, Journal, uh, you know, fantasy score, stock formula. His surge, his surrounding talent score is surging, as he is now surrounded by the likes of John Brown and Cole Beasley. Um, not Antonio Brown. He wasn't about to go to that hellhole, <laughs> uh, but they were interested. Um, what was his score and what is it now? I mean, when you talk about it surging, like what kind of upswing are we going to see for someone like Josh Allen? I haven't done the exact numbers in terms of what it will be. I know it was just bottom. Barrel I mean, it had to be like pretty close to zero to. last year. And I know there's literally no weapons there. And it's not like John Brown and like Cole Beasley are these world beater, like elite talents. No, but they're professional but I, NFL receivers. They're both legit they're guys. 
Exactly. Much higher than what he had. Uh, and they, what was really important is how perfect they fit Josh Allen's skill set, which is just roping the ball as far as he can downfield yep. and hoping somebody goes and tracks it. Like nobody's better than John Brown at that. Yeah, Brown's a great deep guy. Four. An unbelievable deep guy. And then you got Robert Foster, who blew up last year, was a top 20 receiver over the last four weeks. He runs a 4-4-1. Zay Jones has some speed at 4-4-5. And then you get a nice security blanket in Cole Beasley. That's like a sneaky, perfect-fitting uh, you know, type of cast for this deep ball, pro, for pro football focus. Uh, Allen's 19.7% of his rookie year passes went 20-plus yards. That was best in the league, uh, league lead. And he also led the league in air yards per attempt. So this guy just loves to sling it deep. That's what they call for this guy and now they give him the perfect deep type of cast uh, and it's this this stat blew my mind I couldn't believe it because I knew he kind of blew up down the stretch so I looked at his games since he returned back from by it was week 12 he got back there after week 12 he was the number two quarterback in fantasy football behind only Deshaun Watson so yes Josh Allen scored yeah, right. more points Mahomes, Andrew Luck, Aaron Rodgers. Josh Allen was the number two quarterback. A lot of it was rushing points, and those aren't going to go away. But now you give this guy some actual weapons to throw to 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 go with those leg points. I don't know, man. This guy could be that a is absolute the most deal. fucking ridiculous stat you've ever thrown it's out on this it's show. Insane. And remember, we were. Calling- I know we're only talking about like a six week sample, but come on, man. Are you serious? I, I am very serious. Remember, too, we do the, the whole like uh, Hail Mary segment on our preview shows, and Josh Allen kept being our guy, and he kept That's coming true. through. That's true. He was a Hail Mary a bunch of times that, that was it's successful. Yes. Yeah. I was. I'm, I kind of have to owe it to Josh Allen to, to really send this guy up the rankings because I, I, he's got some serious upside. He's already flashed it, and now with that much more weaponry, I'm pretty excited about him this year. If you can get him in rounds like 12, 13, sneaky upside because it looks so gross, but it's actually actually pretty decent. Speaking of flashing it, didn't Zay Jones attack someone like naked at some point in the off season? I think he like ran through a glass window naked and attacked a human being of okay. some sort. Okay, that, but there there was flashing going on. Oh, there's certainly nudity, and I think there's lots of glass inside bad parts too. So pretty okay. fucked up. Yeah, yeah, like he. <laughs> I'm just picturing Zay Jones naked running through a window with like glass shards as he's just screaming well, on drugs. That's <laughs> exactly what I'm picturing. Maybe on some of the purple drink. <laughs> Yeah, I'm Absolutely. I'm I'm definitely picturing the same thing. So, but he does run a fast forty, so I guess nothing else matters. He he could run down fast the field enough to run through that pane glass window or whatever the hell it was. We haven't even. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm actually making that up too. I don't know if there's any validity to that. But yeah, I, think I mean, you know, if if I just made that up, apologies to Zay Jones and his family. But yeah. if, but if I have if there's some <laughs> element of truth to it, no apology. <laughs> I think there is. I think there's at least some element of glass and nudity. As long as, as, long as it's like 10% true, that's enough for me. I'll give us 10%, yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, honorable <laughs> mention uh, as far as risers. Let's talk about Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Uh, sure, volume bets after Mike Davis leaves. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, it, it's nothing huge, but it is a guy that had 112 carries. That's not a small chunk of ground pie. And he also had 43 targets and 34 receptions, which was the most of any of those guys. So it, it is a significant hefty part of the volume there. And they're the run-heaviest team in the league last year. And I was a little bit down on Carson. They're talking about a one-two punch. They kind of sneakily had a one-two punch already. Yeah, with they Mike. did a little bit. So, hey, if he gets out of here, maybe Carson can maintain that high-end RB2, even low-end RB1 style value. I feel a lot better about Carson with Davis removed right now. What do you think about just how the Seahawks are running their team in general? 
Don't don't you seem like the Seahawks maybe more than any team in the league are just kind of going by like whatever uh, Pete Carroll feels like doing on a given play anytime. And they're done, you know, whereas Belichick does that, but I feel like he's got like data and a rhyme or reason for believing it. It kind of seems like Pete Carroll to me sometimes is just like, all right, this is what we're going to do. And like, he doesn't have, yeah, I think he's a huge gut truster guy. And uh, to the detriment of his team. Every chew of gum, he just like yeah, 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 yeah. that's the one. Like the fifth chew of gum, the play comes to his mind as he like bites on his tongue a little bit. Yeah, that's probably what he does. Then, I, I actually kind of like Pete Carroll. I yeah, I don't dislike him. I just think I think he's uh, I think he's not really helped his team out that much the last. Year. Certainly in the playoffs last year, when he wouldn't abandon the run and they were oh, the talent entire game, you got Russell Wilson, one of the best comeback guys in the league. Right. Yeah, he he screwed him over last year. Well, that's sure. kind of what I'm talking about. He's like, we're gonna pound the rock. We're gonna pound the rock. I mean, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, I I digress. All right. Derrick Henry's line has been beefed up with the addition of Rob Roger Saffold. And I definitely like want to hear your quick thoughts on that pickup, but I want to hear about Derrick Henry in general. There, nobody has jerked us around more than Derrick Henry. As far as since we've started this. Yeah. What do you think? I I mean, yes, you're, you're damn right. Our balls are as swollen and as blue as can be from Derrick Henry because we've been trying to chase that big monster back with the Vaughn Miller measurables forever. I think this is the year. <laughs> maybe maybe he's going to leave me, just kick me in the nuts while they're swollen and blue. But I really think this is going to be the year. Arthur Smith, their new offensive coordinator, was their tight end coach last year and has come in and said, we want an ugly, grinded-out style offense. They go and have the best guard free agent in the game, the number three ranked run-blocking guard from the Rams, who obviously was paving massive holes for Todd Gurley these last couple of years. So you got the ugly, grinded-out style offense, another addition to the line that was already pretty damn beefy. And by the second half of last year, they became uh, – they were horrible in the beginning of the year. I think they had some injuries and whatnot. But the second half, when Derrick Henry really started to take off, there's a stat that I forget the exact amount of yardage before before getting hit, but Derrick Henry led the league and like the, the holes were that gaping. He wasn't getting hit, and he was just bulldozing when he got into the open field and steam. If that maintains and that that's what they want, and Vrabel's already said, we want him to do what he did at the end of last year for a full season. That would be fantastic for all of us. Of course it would be. So he's going to get that shot this year, and I don't think he looks back, especially when you beef up the line like they are right now. All right, so where is he on your big board right now? I mean, obviously, I, obviously a ton's going to change, but what do you... 23, I think, off the top late, of my head. He's late in, he's second in the, round. Late second round, and that's about 12 spots higher than the ECR right now. They're looking at it like a late third round. To me, he's a, he's a round higher than what the experts have right now. Yeah, to me, like, he's either... Uh, I don't know, this is going to sound really stupid, but to me, he's either like a late first round, early second round guy, or like, I wouldn't touch him at all. Like exactly. that, that's where I'm looking at. I'm like either like this guy is going to blow up and be like maybe a top five running back or, or better, or like I'm going to get screwed if I take him as high as I would have to take him to get him. And, and I, so my guess is I'm probably not going to end up drafting him. But if you told me like, if you told me this guy is going to be like overall number 15 or whatever, I'd, I'd be like, yeah, that's not crazy. Absolutely, yeah. If nobody finished with more fantasy points to end the season last year, so if he, he picks up where he not left off. Not even Josh Allen? Not not even Josh Allen. I meant at the running back position. I wonder who actually scored more points between those two. Oh, God. Hmm? Josh and Allen. That's going to be my fantasy team right now. Josh Allen, Derek Josh Henry. Allen, Derek Henry, and, uh, who the, and uh, Cameron Brait. Anyway. God, get him out of here. Fuck that guy. All right, we're going to hit uh, fallers, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut out of here. Uh 
because I don't think we can finish fallers before uh, before my designated departure time. So I'm going to sign off for now. Now the truth, Jones, and the wolf is going to finish up the, fa- the fall. I know, I know, you're going to have to do this. All right. Own. Who who are you going to kick stuff like this, Josh Allen QB two stuff off and get? And you're just going to bouncing right. it off the wall. Your neighbor that's yelling at you for messing up your slacks. What, <laughs> what's he going to do? I know. I'm going to call him in from the rafters. Come on in here. Tell me about my slacks. Folks, and talk you're about to, you're about to experience for the next ten or fifteen minutes the real value that the truth brings to this podcast. Um, so, <laughs> Absolutely. I, we were we were all back and forth pretty good tonight too. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. We, I've been I've been fired up. I've yep. been missing it. It's been fun. And the and you know subjects like this are really fun to talk about. This is good stuff. This is like why we know that we have a real problem. It's early March and we're just really fired up about this stuff. And we're talking about your big board and our drafts won't be for five months at least. So, anyway, exactly. That's how you know it's our it's our shit. All right, man. Well, all right. Well, I'm going to sign off. Uh, but stay tuned because the wolf is going to tell you all about the fallers and who knows what else the hell he'll talk about without me to filter uh, what the hell's coming out of his mouth. So I'm now the Truth Jones, and I'll see you guys next time. All righty. The wolf is now back. Obviously solo at this point. Nat had to go be his dad life self and totally understood. We got a little bit of late start here, so apologize for that. Now you gotta listen to only the wolf, but hopefully my voice is soothing enough to uh, take you home because we got fallers, we got penny stocks, we just finished covering all the risers. And again, if you haven't heard it, last episode we broke down the whole OBJ, uh, Le'Veon Bell, and um, the the Antonio Brown trades. So if you haven't heard that one, we're we're not going to talk about any Steelers or Giants or any of those folks because we covered it in depth in over almost an hour episode last time. So if you missed that one, make sure you check out episode 70 last week. But here we go to continue on with out other uh, outside that, the, the fallers and penny stocks that came from free agency. So first faller on my list is Damian Williams. And if you're a fan of this podcast, if you watch any of our stuff, you know that Damian Williams is a guy we've raved about. He was up at 14 overall on my big board, a guy that scored 10 touchdowns in only six games. His per-game pace of 22.2 fantasy points was behind only Todd Gurley last year uh, as a starter. So this guy was insane. And yes, he's a, a pretty solid talent, but that's obviously more so a product of being in the biggest juggernaut offense in the league at the Chiefs and just uh, being in Andy Reid's kind of workhorse role where he peppers them with targets, he peppers them with carries, he loves and prefers one guy. So we were all about Damian Williams because the exiting, you know, entering the draft and everything, the GM said this is Damian Williams' job to lose and he's our guy. So nobody was higher than us. Uh, We were about 40 spots higher on the ECR on Damian Williams and everybody else. And now I'm starting to question that because Carlos Hyde has been brought in. And I think a lot of people are not making nearly enough about this news as they should be because Carlos Hyde's a damn good back. uh, And everyone's saying he's not a three-down guy. He can't do it. Well, Carlos Hyde just two years ago, 2017, caught 59 passes on 88 targets under Shanahan when he was finally used as a receiver. So I don't think it's necessarily that the guy can't catch. It's just he's been underutilized outside that season. And he dominated as a pass catcher during that year. Got a lot of yards after the catch. Trucked some people in the open field was pretty dangerous. And Damien Williams himself was a guy who's already said, I couldn't catch back in the day. He couldn't catch screen passes. His college, uh, I mean, his high school coach made fun of him and said, I can't believe what I'm seeing out of you right now because you couldn't even turn around and catch a screen in high school. We couldn't even use you. We would have had a bunch more wins if we, we knew you could do stuff like that. So Williams talked about how he hit the jugs a lot while at Oklahoma. And then, especially under Andy Reid, just practiced every single day uh, after, you know, outside of practice, doing a ton of that work. 
that he needed to do so. They coached him up at Kansas City. They know how to squeeze the most out of uh, their receiving backs. So who says Hyde can't take on to that coaching and and suddenly take this role? I think he's a better runner overall, Hyde is, than Damian Williams. And with this line, with this overall offense, if Hyde takes this job, he's going to be the one that ends up being that true RB1. So it's just definitely a little bit sketchier here for Damian Williams. His volume score goes from that robust 23 or so under Andy Reid to take a nice you know, six, seven point drop because we don't know exactly how this is going to be distributed. The way I'm going to approach this situation is just drafting both guys because Damian Williams is already a screaming value. And now I rank him more alongside the ECR. I think I'm still about 10 points higher around my 35, 36 range, the end of the third round, because the upside is so humongous. Again, the number two back behind Gurley in points per game when he was the actual starter. So the upside is untouchable. And again, it's part of the system too. So that means I need to get Hyde as well. So if it costs me a third and eighth round pick, I'm locking up this entire backfield, making sure I know, uh, giving my shot, best shot at getting the lead back in the Kansas City offense. It's going to be an RB1 because of how explosive everything is. And if it only costs you a third and eighth round pick to secure that, all the better. The only way that kind of just falls flat and explodes all over your face is if it becomes a disgusting committee uh, and you can't trust one guy week in and week out. But that's never been the case under Andy Reid. I don't know if he's going to just suddenly change his philosophy now. So I think one of these two, Hyde or Williams, will be a true RB1 and true true, true workhorse in this explosive scheme. And the way I'm approaching it now is draft both guys, uh, make sure you secure the entire backfield. Another massive faller, unfortunately, is Jarek McKinnon, Matt Breida, and Tevin Coleman himself. Now a three-headed fantasy nightmare there in San Fran, which is a real damn shame because there's nothing I like more than a well-executed zone blocking scheme. And Kyle Shanahan is the absolute guru, the pristine play caller when it comes to zone running. Uh, And now he's got three guys. He's got the history with Tevin Coleman. He spent a huge money to get McKinnon. And Matt Breida, for a while, led the league in rushing last year before getting hurt. So what do you do? you got three very talented backs. You imagine all three are going to be active on game day. Maybe, just maybe, one of these guys departs. McKinnon, I think if they cut him or trade him within a certain time period now, they wouldn't take any cap hit. And they gave this guy a massive contract. So if anyone's going to be gone, it'd be him. But maybe it's one of those things where they got Coleman on such a team-friendly deal. I think it was about $8.6 million is the reported value on that. They just couldn't pass it up. No, Shanahan knew what to expect from this guy after their days in Atlanta. So it's tricky. And all three of them are pretty adept receivers, especially McKinnon and especially Coleman who runs routes very well for a running back so it's just very tricky how is this going to be divided up we know the scheme is valuable and churns out running back one horses often in fact since 2008 all of Shanahan's running backs they've either been top seven guys or they've been bottom like 28 to 36 range because they've been trapped in committees so this is looking much more like those sickening days where it's like a RB 34 an RB 29 and a RB 37 and they all are similar values but none of them actually usable in fantasy. But if not, if somebody does separate or someone gets traded, I mean, we saw Freeman, RB1 and RB6, then Hyde, RB8. We saw Slayton have an RB7 year. Uh, Alfred Morris dominated an RB8 year. So there's definitely a track record here if a lead guy emerges. But man, it's going to be congested if not. So this becomes a nightmare. All of them have to take a huge hit right now. Still interesting stashes if you can get them at a good enough value because if one guy does emerge, let's say it's Coleman because of their Falcon connections, then yeah, he's going to blow up. So 
So somebody could explode if they take over the reins, but right now it does not look clear at all, and this is a huge hit for all these guys, which could have been a much better situation for everybody if Coleman went to like the Bucks or someone with an open backfield. Not the case, and that's unfortunate. Darius Geis, my third faller here, and Adrian Peterson, just the, the corpse of him, continues to loom. He's got that looming, obnoxious presence, but this guy was a monster last year for quite some time. Predictably, the wheels fell off towards the end of the year, especially once Colt McCoy took over and defenses could just power, stop that run game, and load up the box. AP became nothing. But overall, the guy had as shocking of a season as any of us could imagine. Potential comeback player of the year talk last year. And he's not just going to fade into the night. The coach, Jay Gruden, already was talking about Geis as a three-down guy, someone you don't have to take off the field. And then he goes and signs Peterson. Like, is this just a handcuff? Is this just insurance policy? Or is this going to be a committee? I do need to know more. And obviously, it could be worse if they went out and got a better talent than the corpse of Adrian Peterson. But we know Adrian Peterson knows the scheme well and thrived in it last year. So I imagine he is going to annoyingly eat at Darius Geis' workload. Maybe only a red zone role, but still, that's a huge part of fantasy. So it's not like I can just go all in on Geis suddenly after what was looking like a three-down horse type of role. And then, you know, the quarterback situation with Keenan that's going to be hideous this backfield just got a lot more disgusting to me and Geist takes a decent hit on my ranking some honorable mentions in terms of fallers from free agency just as we were starting to record Golden Tate signs with the Giants that's hideous they already have their slot guy and, and Sterling Shepard I mean even Evan Ingram dominated out of the slot for stretches of last year so what the fuck are they trying to do there I get that Eli Manning can't throw the ball downfield and he's a pretty pathetic arm at this point so you just load up on slot guys and that's all you're going to do as an offense is just dink 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 dunk 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 I guess I mean that's Shermer's calling card towards the end of last year and it started to work but ugh, man what a hideous spot when he was looking in close and close like he was going to go to our perfect spot New England he now goes to the Giants that's way just more disgusting than anything we were hoping for for Golden Tate our top receiver lands in probably the worst type of spot for himself Gus the bus is an obvious faller when you got Mark Ingram who is essentially what bus was just a lot better he's going to just take a clear cut back seat to him maybe he carves out a meaningful goal line role and can preserve value but at this point I'm not touching him LaShawn McCoy was someone I didn't want to draft and nobody really wanted to draft anyways but it was like, hey, maybe, you know, he's going to be the lead back and this offense takes a step forward with Josh Allen. And then let's sign Frank Gore, who just somehow is still alive and well in the NFL. I don't get it. I don't even know how old the guy is, maybe 70 at this point. But he's still alive and kicking, and now he's there to just ruin LaShawn McCoy's already sinking value even further. And Tyrell Williams, uh, you hope this guy would go to, like, the Colts in an explosive offense where he could carve out some really meaningful volume. And no, uh, he goes and is just the number two to Abe, Antonio Brown and the awful Raiders overall team. Gruden's never sustained significant value for two receivers outside of when he had Tim Brown and Jerry Rice. And that's not Tyrell Williams. He's not on the level of those two. So Antonio Brown, this helps him. This helps Derek Carr to have this deep threat. Tyrell Williams certainly will have a couple blow-up days here and there. He got paid like a, a $11 million a year, so they obviously envision a significant role for the guy. But it's just back to that inconsistent, can't-trust-the-guy-no-matter-what style role. I won't be touching him, and that's unfortunate because he had a ton of upside depending where he landed. Those are the followers. If there's others you think of, let me know. Tweet at me, Roto Street Wolf. I'm going to hit up the penny stocks now. 
And there are tons of them, but we're going to focus in on three and then kind of rapid fire it as well. We got Mike Davis as my first one, and I think he has humongous TD upside as the Bears' big back. This, of course, assumes that Jordan Howard is traded. They move on from him. That's been the rumblings all offseason. And after signing Mike Davis, who is essentially Jordan Howard, just a better receiver, I imagine he is gone uh, for good. If not, then this becomes a three-headed disgusting nightmare, and only Cohen is a guy I would actually target. But right now, I think Mike Davis fits it perfectly. You know, Nagy doesn't need a fancy type of back when he's got Cohen as that gadget style player. He's a guy that gets hits the hole, can pass protect, and, and gets upfield, and that's what Davis does. He's just a no-nonsense style bruiser guy that runs north-south and gets what's in front of him, uh, and even more so. He just churned out with Seattle last year. 112 carries, 514 yards, and 4 TDs. Limited spot starts. The guy looked like he could shoulder an entire rushing offense, so there's some serious upside to Mike Davis here, he, especially because he's a good receiver. 43 targets, 34 receptions, 214 yards, and a TD in the receiving game. That's significant, especially with the Bears, who love to pepper their running backs. Obviously, Cohen is going to be the main third down back and pass catcher there, but Davis can do a lot more than Jordan Howard can in that big back role, a lot more kind of roll out on the screen of a play action style thing. I think they clearly have a role for this guy if they went out and made sure to get Mike Davis on the the, the day free agency started. I really like the upside he could be as the Bears' big back. And then you got a just enormous pass catching value hole in Pittsburgh. We we talked a lot about Pittsburgh and Juju last time and Vance McDonald rising up, but who's going to be the outside receiver there? And then in comes Dante Moncrief. <laughs> I know this guy has burned us before in the past. It burned a lot of people with everyone calling that 26 breakout. He had that huge touchdown streak in 2015 where every single game luck played, the guy caught a touchdown. And it wasn't shocking because he's 6'2", huge body, led the combine with a 4'4'40", and a 39 and a half inch vertical, so athletic freak that can go up and get it, make plays over any cornerback uh, in the league. We were seeing that on a weekly basis where we climb the ladder and contested balls, just luck would put it up and the guy would go and get it. But since then, he kind of fizzled out. Luck got hurt often and he, he ended up leaving the Colts offense, goes to the awful Jaguars. We see a couple blow up games where he gets behind the defense, catches some deep balls, still shows us that deep speed and that leaping ability, but he was just the fucking Jaguars catching passes from Blake. Bortles. That's never a recipe for fantasy success. So he lands, though, in the perfect situation now. If he's ever going to be anything, it's going to be realized with the Steelers and the Steelers with a gaping target void behind uh, obvious number one Juju Smith-Schuster. We got the second uh, most hair yards in the league vacated with the departure of Jesse Jones, uh, Jesse James, I apologize, and Antonio Brown. Just a ridiculous amount of volume is now available there. 240 targets, 2,547 air yards. That's nearly half the team's yards from last year are completely opened up. So Moncrief could be the one that comes in and steps in. And an offense that should reside in the off, uh, still hit the red zone quite often. That's where Moncrief could be a monster. There is very real 8-10 touchdown upside for this big body that can climb ladders and make plays. I really like what Moncrief can bring. And if it's not him, then maybe it's James Washington. He flashed with a couple 60-yard efforts in his two of his last three games, showed that deep speed that made the team go out and get him. And nobody evaluates receivers better than the Steelers. And that's why I'm excited they went out and got Moncrief. That's why James Washington is still somebody I'm going to pay very close attention to this offseason. is because I trust the Steelers more than any other team in terms of their wide receiver evaluation. So if they want these two guys, it means they see something, they see a role, and they're going to use them well. So I really like both those guys with late-round stabs to have you know 10-plus touchdown upside penny stocks. We talked about Vance McDonald. Maybe he's the guy that 
could end up blowing up with Jesse James gone as well. The third penny stock I need to mention is a guy named Trey Quinn. He's Case Keenum. The reason I mentioned Trey Quinn, Redskins, if you didn't know what team he played for. If you listen to us this probably the offseason, you probably know who Trey Quinn is. But if not, he's the slot receiver for the Redskins. We just had Jamison Crowder and Maurice Harris, two of their top targets from last year, depart. And Trey Quinn, when those guys were out, scored, I think, in three straight weeks last year. I forgot to record exactly his totals once Crowder and... Um, and Maurice Harris were removed, and he is the clear-cut slot guy now for this offense, and Case Keenum is what we like to call a slot slut. He peppers the slot more than any quarterback in the league, and that's been for two straight seasons. He's led the league in slot targets, uh, relentlessly targeting Emmanuel Sanders last year until he went down. We absolutely loved Sanders once he moved to the slot because of how much Keenum targeted Adam Thielen in 2017, the year before. He led the league with 25% slot target share, for, for Thielen, third down especially, uh, he, he would look to his way 44% of the time, so it was trailed only Keenan Allen and DeAndre Hopkins on third down Did Adam Thielen back then. Sanders was a top 10 wide receiver till he got hurt last year as the slot slut, so who's that next guy? It's Trey Quinn, and he's going to get peppered with target after target, so I, he's got to be a guy that's on your radar, even though it's the disgusting Redskins, that'll probably make him a screaming value, probably guy you can get in your last round that could end up seeing 100 plus targets because Case Keenum loves Pepper in that area of the field. Other honorable mentions, you got Devin Funches going to the Colts. They had a clear cut need at number two receiver, and he's going to be the guy on a one year contract to try to prove his worth. What a smart move by him. Go play with Andrew Luck. Go play in this explosive overall offense that will maximize your big red zone body. This guy can make those contested catches, just kind of like a, a Moncrief I was raving about. An offense that should reside in the red zone quite often. Devin Funches has the perfect body to dominate in that style. We got Prashad Perriman becoming Bruce Arians' new lid lifter. His offense requires, whether it was John Brown a couple years ago, it's always required, you know, Santonio Holmes, all those guys in Pittsburgh, it's always needed a guy that can just streak down the field and make humongous catches. Brashad Perriman really flashed that ability last year. I know he's a huge bust with the Ravens. He goes over to the Cleveland, and him and Mayfield connected on some beautiful-looking deep balls. The guy seemed to finally have it click in his head. Gets a one-year type of prove-it deal in the perfect style value hole for himself as Bruce Aaron's new lid lifter. I think there's a lot of upside there for Brashad Perriman as a deep ball, best ball, especially style guy that will have a couple of those like 182 touchdown days with Bruce Arians, a perfect best ball target. And speaking of departed Red- Redskins receiver, was Maurice Harris, and then also Bruce Ellington becoming uh, potential major prominent figures in the Patriots juggernaut offense. It could be, you know, don't know which one it's going to be, if any of them. They, neither one is guaranteed a roster spot because they're kind of nobodies at this point. But I loved Harris last year for a, a solid stretch where he was getting peppered time and time again with the Red, uh, Redskins. He looked smooth in his routes. He was very reliable, dependable, where he's supposed to be. That's perfect for the New England system. And Bruce Ellington had 31 catches in only seven games. Very quick in the intermediate game games, caught two touchdowns against the Patriots in two games last year against them, so this guy knows how to get get behind the Patriots' defense, he knows how to work the short and intermediate range, both of those skill sets are completely necessary in the Patriots' offense, 
and there's nobody else really there to catch targets. Obviously, you got Julian Edelman, and everybody else is, seems to be departing. Bruce, I mean, Philip Dorsett did return on a one-year deal as well, so he needs to be lumped in this conversation as well. The latest rumblings are Gronk is going to return too, so that would change some things as well. But especially if Gronk is gone, there'll be a massive target void, a huge slices of the aerial pie from Tom Brady, the best to ever play the game, will be available if Gronk retires too. It could be Maurice Harris, could be Ellington, could be Dorsett. I don't know which one it will be, but I'm willing to take best ball stabs on any of the three in the hopes of landing the right one. That's all about it. We still have some interesting developments to, to take place here. It might not be till rookies come in, but we got the Tampa Bay backfield still wide open, and maybe it remains Peyton Barber come the season. That guy just shoots another round five or six. You got to keep him on your radar as well. Uh, that's our number two value hole, and it's still wide open. Jay Ajayi, our fifth most important free agent, is unsigned. Latest is he's going to go visit the Colts. God, I hope that doesn't happen because that ruins Marlon Mack's beautiful value. It doesn't ruin it, but at least it puts a, a taint on it, especially if Ajayi carves out a big back type of touchdown role. We know Wright does like his committees, so that, that would really suck if he goes and ruins Marlon Mack. Other than that, most of the dominoes have fallen at this point, so we have some value holes left, a couple decent names. The draft, though, will obviously answer a lot of these questions. If you liked what you heard, please smash that subscribe button. Please leave us a review. Even if you hated it, that would mean the world. Give us one star. That's fine. I just would love to hear from you guys and know what we can do better or what we're doing well to help you guys out because this is the Fantasy Fullback Dive. We're paving your path to 2019 titles, and it starts now with knowing all these riser followers in this stock market that never sleeps. If you want to interact with me personally, it's at Roto Street Wolf on Twitter or Snapchat. Our main page is rotostreetjournal.com. We have home, home bases on Facebook, Roto Street Journal, and Instagram, Roto Street Journal. We're bringing back the, the Sunday fantasy tailgate this week, me and CJ, getting it going to break down all this fantasy stuff for free agency as well. So if you want to interact and have a, a back-and-forth Q&A style show, make sure you tune in Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We will be live with our usual slot, so hopefully we get the you know the, all our raving fans back because we loved having you guys. We had great Sunday times, and we want to get the good times rolling again, so tune back in and Roto ST Journal on Twitter as well. Uh, again, fancy fullback dive though. Hopefully you subscribe. Hope you like what you heard and let us know. I'm the Wolf and I'm out. Take it easy, guys. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go. But at least we stole the show 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 Old-fashioned football right there, folks.